Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're going to continue our study along the same lines that we've been talking about. And to be honest with you, as I was looking over these notes and just kind of mulling things over in my heart, it's almost as if I saw inside my spirit that this example that's been written for us is so important because it reveals to us how we can enter into the fullness of our inheritance in Christ. And let me ask you a question. I'm not talking about knowing your inheritance. I'm talking about experiencing the fullness of your inheritance. Are you there yet? Are you walking in the fullness of your inheritance in Christ in full manifestation of the glory inside you, the victory that he's given? Possessing our land is the title of the message. Well, I don't believe we're there yet, but praise God we're heading in that direction. We're moving along that way. The path is becoming brighter and brighter more and more into the perfect day as the word teaches us. We're learning lot upon line, precept upon precept. We're learning here a little, there a little, praise God. You know, just sharing some things with others from the word of God and studying. I was studying uh, recently a a book by um, Roberts Lairdon about the ministry of Smith Wigglesworth. And how God used him so mightily. But sometimes we overlook some of the small details. You know, we look at he was used by God to raise 23 people from the dead. That's only about 23 more than I've raised from the dead. But I don't know about you. But <laughs> Unless you count Andrew. Because he was about there. So we praise God for his victory. Can you say amen for that? Praise God. Uh, but as you read some of these unpublished sermons, you know, where he talked about certain things pertaining to his own life. Here's a man that God used to raise 23 people from the dead. Some say uh, maybe less, some say maybe more. Don't really know the exact number, but it doesn't really matter, does it? But um, we know that his daughter lived and lived and I believe she died deaf. And he can get hundreds and hundreds of people healed of deafness. And then, you know, your, your, your mind just starts wanting to focus in on that. Well, well, why? Explain that. Do you know the scripture says that the secret things belong to God? The things that are revealed belong to us and our children forever. Is it, up for, is it really up to us to know? Is it for us to know as to why and the why nots? Does it change the scriptures? Does it change our inheritance? Does it change the redemption that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord? And then also a reading along in the same book, he lost his youngest son to death. Also, did you know that he warred with God early in his life and ministry and basically wasn't serving the Lord until he got to a place where he finally decided to get on fire for God. And then for him, it was nothing but the Bible and nothing but the things of God. And that's all there was to it. And made a tremendous sacrifice Uh, To serve the Lord in such a way so as to be used so mightily of him to completely surrender himself to the Lord. You know, and then you think about he was also one who was bound by his emotions. Anger had control of his life in such a way that he had to excuse himself before the Lord and go into a work 
room where he would get on his knees before God and he told the Lord, I'm not coming out until this thing is dealt with. And he waited there till the glory fell and just filled his heart, flooded his soul. And he got completely delivered from anger. That's the kind of person that he was. He believed that it belonged to him and he wasn't going to walk away from that room until he experienced it. And that's why we want to talk about this message tonight. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 26 and verse 1. He wanted to experience it. It wasn't enough to know about it. He wanted to experience it and walk in the light of it. And that's really the goal that we all should have. Wouldn't you agree? Every one of us should have that as a goal. I want to experience and walk in the light of what Jesus provided for me by inheritance. It shall be when thou art come. Notice come first. Come in unto the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possesses it. Possess it. Two. Possess it. Number three, he goes on to say, and dwells therein. It, it reveals to us three steps that we want to talk about this evening. Number one, we come to the land. Number two, we possess the land. Number three, we dwell in or walk in the land. Now, we want to explain those things, three things in just a moment. But before we do, first of all, if you recall, we already talked about the fact that Moses failed to get the people in and Joshua got them in. And what we see here is this truth. Between every promise and its fulfillment is a wilderness. The way we act in the wilderness will determine whether or not we experience the promise. Under Moses, they acted in what? Unbelief. And we see that summed up in Numbers. And you can look at chapter 14, verse 28. What it says. Saying to them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord. As you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. This was the culmination of the wrath of God. That he basically poured out upon his people and judged them because they refused to believe his word. They saw the signs, wonders, and miracles up to this point, but they refused to believe his word. And notice what he says. He says, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do to you. What does that tell me? God hears what we're saying. Does it say that to you? God listens to our speech. He knows the things we're whining about, murmuring about, complaining about. And for those people, by the way, that might be out there that say this faith business, these faith people, they're off. They, they call us name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. I challenge them to take that verse of scripture, meditate on it for about a month, and then look at everything that's behind it and that led up to it. And when they find out that all these other spies, these leaders, spoke negativity, doubt, unbelief, and imparted it to those that heard them. And God was angry with their voice for doing so. And they were judged and punished for, do, for doing so. And worms ate out their jaws and mouths and tongue, tongues and, and their navel, heart and mouth, because of what they said and what they taught. Then... I want to know how they conclude what they conclude. But we find out that God judged them 
because of what they believed in their heart and said with their mouth. And he made that very clear. So now notice this. Who's the one that saw to it they got what they said? God did. God did. As you've spoken in my ears, that is what you're going to get. And I'll do it to you. Say, wow. Say it backwards. <laughs> Boy, that needs to sink into our ears, doesn't it? Am I getting what I'm saying? No. Yeah. That's a scary thought, isn't it? But then also under the leadership of Joshua, we discovered what? That they entered the promised land. Why? Because they acted in faith. And we see that in the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30, let's read it, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. What brought down those walls? Faith activated the power of God from on high. Faith, in other words, with power, brought down those walls. God's work is a work of faith with power. No secret here. Their faith unleashed the power of God. Would God have unleashed his power for Moses and them? Yes, it, he would have. But because of what they said and what they believed, they were judged and denied entrance into the promised land. But under Joshua, because of what they believed and what they said, and you can follow that line of teaching all the way through, again, line upon line, precept upon precept, and God himself said they had another spirit within them, and the spirit of faith is, as according to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13, we have in the same spirit of faith, we believe, therefore have we spoken. So faith believes and faith speaks. And so that is a principle, and the enemy tries to put a title to it, put a name to it, to make people think that if you believe this teaching, you're a part of the name it, claim it, blab it, grab it group. Well, you know what? I'm a part of the word of faith group. According to Paul in Romans 10, remember 10 verse 8? But what saith it? The words nigh you, the word of faith that we preach. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus, who's going to change that? Someone else going to change the word of God, make it say something that it doesn't say? Won't it be something when we get before the throne and we find out that we got everything that we believed and said? Good or bad. Can you imagine that? By your words you'll be justified. By your words you'll be condemned. Didn't he say that? He sure did, didn't he? Absolutely. So it's important we understand this principle. And don't, just don't look at it lightly. And recognize our need to cooperate with God by believing some things and saying some things. Because God wants us to possess our promised land. Our inheritance. Under, under Moses they didn't. Under Joshua they did. So number one. Three steps to consider. And the first one is we must come to the land. And the land of promise is not heaven. Heaven is not the promised land. There are so many songs talking about heaven or the promised land being heaven. I'm sorry to say, but that's not the, tr that's not the case. It's not true. Why? There are no giants in heaven. There are no obstacles in heaven. There are no walled cities in heaven that we've got to get over or through or pull down. There is nothing in heaven that in any way opposes us. But in this promised land, we understand, is a place of victory for Christians. It's the place of victory for all of us. 
is the Christian experience in fulfilling all that Jesus did for us and making it a reality in our lives. It's experiencing reality with the things that Jesus purchased and promised as he shed his blood for us upon Calvary. So it's important we recognize that. Under point B, coming to the land involves so much more than what people think. In 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, notice this. It involves us coming to a place that we recognize and understand everything we have as far as our inheritance is in Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power has given unto us a few things that pertain to life and godliness. What has his power given us? Now let's back that up. Did he not tell Joshua I have given you the land? Well, he gave them a geographical location here upon the earth called the promised land, land of Canaan, right? What has he given to us? All things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. No, we don't have a geographical location. We have been given the divine nature of the living God, along with precious promises and all things that pertain to life and godliness. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to give this to you. I have already given it to you. So we need to have a revelation of what's been given to us. They were given the land of Canaan. We were given all things that pertain to life and godliness. I'd say we've got a whole lot more than what they've been given. Wouldn't you say? Now look at Matthew. Let's kind of put things in perspective. Look at Matthew chapter 11. Come unto me. Come unto me. We're coming to the land. He's the land of our inheritance. All you that labor every that labor and heavy laden I will give you rest take my yoke upon upon you and what learn of me for notice learn of me it's important to hear that for I'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest unto your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light coming to the land involves learning about our rights and privileges in Christ it's about learning that we've been given the kingdom of God and all that pertains to it he said, it's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And if he's given us Jesus, he says, how is it that I wouldn't give you all things? So we've been given. We must come to the land and learn about what belongs to us. You're not going to possess what you don't know belongs to you. We won't even put, the effort to put, uh, put forth the effort to possess what belongs to us. If we don't know what belongs to us, we're going to have a lackadaisical attitude and just sit on back and just case it off, it off. But I'll tell you what, when we start realizing what belongs to us and we start realizing what really is ours in Christ, it's going to get our dander up if we don't have it. Is it not? It is mine. It belongs to me. And when you start realizing who it is that's trying to steal it from you, hmm, you're not going to be happy about it. Do you remember that verse in Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 that says what? My people perish for lack of knowledge. Coming to the land involves educating ourselves, 
with our rights and privileges. Learning our redemptive rights. Knowing what belongs to us in Christ. And there are many things. In him, victory belongs to us. Deliverance belongs to us. Healing belongs to us. Financial assistance belongs to us. Power belongs to us. Authority belongs to us. All these things are our strength belongs to us. Praise God. Victory belongs to us. Success belongs to us. All these things are already ours and provided for us in Christ. They belong to us. Everything in the kingdom he's given us and it belongs to us. So that's part of just coming to the land. And sometimes I think what we do is we build our faith life just on that and stop right there. And that's it. I've learned it so I know it. I was sharing with someone one time they were in need of divine assistance and they asked me to evaluate where they were at in their faith. And when I started sharing a few verses of scripture, the one person said, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that, I know that. I'm glad you know it. But they weren't experiencing it. Would you rather look at a piece of pizza and say, I know it, or would you rather eat it? Let me rephrase that. <laughs> Never mind. Ladies, would you rather look at a piece of Anderson's chocolate and say, I know what's in it, but would you rather eat it? I better stop right there. You might be hungry, and I don't want that to happen. Knowing it's one thing. It's okay to know it. But to really know it is to experience it. Epigonosco is that Greek word that says you shall know the truth, which means you will experience it. You'll have it in your mouth. That chocolate will begin to melt within your mouth. It's so wonderful, so smooth, so satisfying that you'll want another little piece after you get done with that one. Because it leaves that taste in your mouth. Do you think that God had chocolate made up just so that we can have that taste and know how, how good it is and want more? Then we can see, taste the Lord because you'll see that he is good. And then you want a whole lot more of him. Think about it. Man doesn't live by chocolate alone. Or pizza alone. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of the living God. And you taste it and you see that the Lord is good. And you want more and you want more. And you want more. And you don't want just to be educated. You want to have experienced reality in it. Can you say amen? That's what our longing is for. Experience reality. Which is why we need to spend this time like we're doing in worship and praise and just waiting on God. Okay, there's a lot to be said about that. But go to point two. Now we've come to the land and we know what is ours. But we must possess it. We must take it by force. We must not have this haphazard attitude that just says, well, if it happens, it happens. You realize that's one of the number one tools of the devil. If it happens, it happens. Case that what will be, will be. You never know what's going to happen in life. The devil has basically sold that lie. People have fallen for it, hook, line, and sinker. You know what? That's not what the kingdom of God is all about. The kingdom of God is all about God has made provision for every single one of us to have victory and deliverance in spirit and soul and in body and in every imaginable way possible. It belongs to us. But the enemy wants us to think that it's all up to God whether, ever, whether or not we ever experience it. That's not what the Bible teaches. He said you've come to the land. Now you see what it belongs to you. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Now you got to go possess it. You got to go get a hold of it. You've got to embrace it. You've got to desire it. You've got to want it. 
You can't be satisfied. You've got to be like Wigglesworth that says, I'm not coming out of my prayer closet with the same spirit of anger on me. I'm not coming out until I have an anointing from on high and I've got deliverance and control over my emotions. And he waited there until the spirit of God fell, the glory of God fell, and just baptized him afresh and anew. And he came out, praise God, never had an issue ever after that point with anger. That's the attitude we've got to have. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. We should know the verse. That you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. How do we inherit or experience the promise? Through faith and patience. It takes faith and patience working together, these power twins, to see to it that we can experience our promise. So in other words, it tells me that it's not always going to be instantaneously. He said he's going to drive out the inhabitants of the land little by little. Didn't he say that? Absolutely. So we've got to develop the right kind of faith and also develop patience, knowing the trying of our faith works patience so that we're perfect and entire wanting nothing. And so it's up to us. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 8, what it says. It's up to us to take a hold of it. Behold, I have set the land before you. God did his part. There it is. Look at it. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. It's a wonderful land. It's a beautiful land. It's the land I have provided for you. I've given it to you. Notice this. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. What is he telling them to do? Go in there and possess the land. That land is ours. It belongs to us is the mentality that we're to have. And what does that land represent? It can be your marriage. It can be your children. It could be your family. It could be your finances. It can be your job. It could be many things. It could be your nation, your country. It could be your church. It could be your health. It could be, you know, your mental soundness of mind and well-being. There are many things it can stand for. It's your land. It belongs to you. We've got to take ownership of it. It belongs to me. It's mine, praise God. I've got to recognize it belongs to me. And I've got to do something to see to it that I use my faith to do what? To possess it. To enjoy it. If you recall, even after they got into the promised land. And all the different 12 tribes were supposed to divide up the land among themselves. Do you realize that only five of the tribes took possession of their land? They were there, but they didn't possess it. They had a, uh, an apathetic attitude about them, very lethargic attitude about them. Well, I'm just basically living off the others, and it's a wonderful place to be in. Oh, that's great. But you're not, you're not taking your land. You're not getting hold of what belongs to you, is what Joshua told them. The Lord said to get you up and get you out and go get your land. Get a hold of it. In other words, you've got to have that kind of bulldog tenacity that says, I'm not satisfied with just knowing about it. I need to get myself up and go get it and go possess it. And the valet going to take it by force. And so that's for all of us. Every one of us. Well, there's some considerations that I have listed here for us. Um, so that we can better understand what we need to do. We must first of all know the land is ours. Look at Joshua chapter 1 and verse 3. We must know the land is ours. It belongs to us. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses. Every place your foot treads upon. So in other words, if we don't do our part, we're not going to experience the reality of it. 
I've got to rise up and just say, this is mine. I'm taking hold of it. I need to know it belongs to me. If I don't know it belongs to me, then I'm not going to go after it. I'm not going to go get it. I've got to get up and start walking. I've got to start treading. I've got to start going to that place where I can receive it. What did Wigglesworth do? He went into his prayer closet and says, this is mine. It belongs to me. I'm treading on it. I'm not coming out without it. God wants us to be that bold and persistent when it comes to the things that belong to us. And also have the same kind of attitude for the, toward the devil. Get your hands off my property. Secondly, we also can't fear the size of the enemy. Look at Joshua chapter 1. We can't fear the size of the enemy. It seems like as though this thing is, that's lurking over us is like a mountain. Well, that mountain we should view as a window of opportunity to put God to work and watch him manifest his power in our lives. So here we see Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so will I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. We need to say it to ourselves over and over and over again. What is it that belongs to you that you're not enjoying or I'm not enjoying? I've got to say it. My God is on my side. He does not forsake me. He will not let me down. Look at Joshua chapter 2. This is so important with regard to experiencing what belongs to us. It teaches us an important truth. Joshua chapter 2, beginning at verse 8. And that's not in your notes. You need to correct that. It's 2 verses 8 through 11. Not just 8 through 11. Chapter 2. And I think all this is under the heading of B. Now notice this, and before they were laid down, she came up, this is speaking about Rahab the harlot, unto them upon the roof. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Stop right there. Just stop right there. This is Rahab the harlot. And she says, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Isn't it something that she knew that? But the ones to whom he gave it, didn't know that? And that your terror is fallen upon us. And, all that, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Why? For we have heard. How does faith come? What did they hear? We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sion and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, they didn't see them, but they heard them. Our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. This is Rahab the harlot giving a lesson to these spies that are coming out to spy the land again the second time under the leadership of Joshua. And if you could just put a curtain here to divide the two, put a line right here between the two. Here you've got all the leaders under Mo Moses, the, the 12 spies, 10 of them. And over here, we have Rahab the harlot revealing to us what really was going on. We're over here on this side, and what do we hear, and what do we see? Well, there's giants in the land. There's walled cities in the land. We're grasshoppers in their sight. Nothing could be further from the truth. But to them, 
We're grasshoppers. We're afraid of them. We can't go in there and do that. And here they're on this side over here and say, did you hear what God did for them when they came out of Egypt? Did you hear about, look at, no small thing here. He parted the Red Sea for them. He delivered them for the most powerful force on the earth, the Egyptian army. He brought them through the wilderness. He did all these miracles. He's fighting for them. We're no match for them. Their hearts were melted. We can't do it. It's impossible. It's a difficult situation. Man, we're afraid of them. Can you imagine trying to go in there? We'll probably all die, get killed. Let's just concede the land. Let's just give it to them right now. They'll be here any minute. It's only probably 200 miles, so it shouldn't take them more than a couple of weeks to get here, depending on how fast they travel. But just everybody just want to know, I want you all to know, we've conceded the land to the Israelites. We might as well just start packing our bags and getting out. Probably Because if you see, if you want to spare your life, you don't want to go up against the God of Israel. You, you might as well just pack up, get out, go somewhere else, and just give them the land. What are they doing over here? Oh, we're so afraid. What does Joshua and Caleb say? Come on, we can do it. Pick up stones and stone them. You name it, claim it, people. Gonna knock you in the head with a stone. Stop talking like that. A bunch of heretics. You see what we're up against. Are you getting this? That's what's going on. And Rahab the harlot knows it. And she's going. Why did it take you 40 years to get here? Our hearts have been melted all this time. What took you so long to get here? We've conceded the land a long time ago. Oh my goodness, you people are slow. <laughs> goodness, right? That's the truth. Don't be afraid of the enemy. Why? Because God's bigger and greater. Number three, next one. We can't let age be a factor. We can't let age, this is important. Look at 1 Samuel 17. Sometimes I'm too young, sometimes I'm too old. Well, let's, let's look at this. Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him. Why? What's the reason here, Saul? Because you're just but a youth. Really. And he, a man of war from his youth, and David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. There came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him, delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Seeing he hath defied, oh my, if we could ever get a vision of this. He's not attacking you. He's defying the God who lives in you. He's defined the God who lives in me. He's divided the armies of the living God. What an attitude for us to develop. Look at this David as this young boy learned this lesson of faith and spoke words that brought down the giant. Okay, but then look at Joshua chapter 14. That should be 14 in your notes there, not four. So you can make a change there. 
Then the children of Ju Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to spy, uh, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. What did he bring him? Word as it was in my heart. What principle does that sound like? You believe in your heart and you say with your mouth. Okay, he brought back word as it was in his heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Would you rather hear a preacher that makes your heart melt? Or brings encouragement to you? But I wholly follow the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden. Did you get that? Wherever your feet will tread, the, your feet have trodden, shall be your inheritance. What did it require? Him to tread on the land. And thy children's forever. Why? Because you wholly followed the Lord my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. He, as he said these forty and five years even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's 85 now. See, it doesn't matter if you're young. And really, it doesn't matter if you're older, like 85. As yet, I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now for war, both to go out, to come in. Now, therefore, give me this mountain. Would you call this faith and patience? Would you call 40 years being patient? Give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake. Notice it's all based on what the Lord spake, on what the Lord said. These people that are naming, claiming things that the Lord never spoke or said, they are off. But if the Lord said it, if the Lord spoke it, you could bank on it. You could put it in your heart, put it in your mouth. Where the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how that the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord be, will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, Hebron, for an inheritance. Did he, Caleb, experience his inheritance? Did he experience his promised land? Did he enter the land that flows with milk and honey? Did God bless his bread, bless his water, take sickness from the midst of him, fulfill the number of his days? He sure did for him. And why? Because he was one of those faith, you know, individuals that are considered heretics. But if you look at it from his perspective, he was like that the first time around. He said that the first time around. While they were on that side. Do you know what Joshua said on this side? The first time around? The enemies bred for us. Did you know they were bred for them? That's exactly what Rahab said. Everybody's hearts melted. There's no courage in us. The land is yours. We can see the land. Well, you know what? The devil's been defeated. The enemy's been defeated. Everything that we encounter in life been defeated. Praise God. And the victory belongs to us. Look at the next one. We must control our emotions. Do you remember numbers? We went over this the last couple of weeks. 20. 
Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, ye rebels. Must we fetch you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand. And with his rod, he smote the rock twice. And the water came out abundantly. And the congregation drank and their beasts also. And it goes on to say the Lord was upset with him. He judged him because he, was, he allowed his anger to get the better of him or the best of him. Well, we can't let our emotions control us in such a way that we forget that what we believe in our heart and say with our mouth, we're going to get. So we need to learn to control like Brother Wigglesworth had to control his anger and not allow it to get the best of us or our emotions to get the best or the better of us. Because if so, we can be denied and we don't want to be denied. Look at the next one. We must inquire of the Lord. 1 Samuel 23 verses 1 and 2. Then they told David saying, behold, the Philistines fight against Kyla, and they robbed the threshing floors. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord. And this is it right here. He inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and smite these Philistines? Now, how important is that? Because if he goes without the Lord, what happens to him? He, he's defeated. And the Lord said to David, go and smite the Philistines and save Kyla. And you know what? They did. They got the victory. But notice the point is, get the mind of God. What do you want me to do in this given situation? I know it belongs to me. I know it's mine. I know to believe in my heart and say with my mouth. But there's something more that you want me to do in this situation. I will do it. Show me what to do and I will do it. Look at the next one. We must follow the leading of the spirit. We must be spirit led in these matters. And look in the book of Numbers chapter 9 and verse 21. And so it was when the cloud abode from even unto the morning and that the cloud was taken up in the morning when they journeyed, as that's then they journeyed, whether it was by day or by night, that the cloud was taken up, they journeyed. What is that saying to us? When the cloud moved, they moved. If the cloud didn't move, they didn't move. So in other words, they're being led by the Spirit. How important is it for us to be led by the Spirit of God? We don't want to step out and do something that he doesn't want us to do because then we're on our own. We need to know that God is in it. And if God is in it, he'll fight for us and defend us. Praise God and we'll succeed. Look at the next one. We must defend our ground. We must defend, defend our ground. It's ours. Don't let an enemy come and take it. So look in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 23. And after him was Shammah the son of Aji, the Herorite. And the Philistines were gathered together in a troop, into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils. And the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground. You could say he stood his ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, over 800 Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Notice he stood his ground. Sometimes people will say, well, what more do I need to do? Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand your ground. Set some things in motion. Stand your ground and see the salvation of, of the Lord your God. These are David's mighty men of valor. How is it that one man can possibly slay 800 in a moment? Do you ever see some of these movies where they have these super heroes they go like flash 
Can you imagine overcoming 800 individuals? They couldn't do that on their own. The hand of God was involved in this. Remember Samson and how he took the jawbone of a donkey? And a thousand Philistines were killed? Now remember, they have to be defending themselves as well from all these attacks, from all these different directions that are coming against them. And boom, he's defending his territory. We must use our weapons. David used a sling. Gibeon used trumpets, clay pots, lamps. But our weapons are not carnal weapons like that. Ours are supernatural weapons. Ours are mighty through God that are pulling down to strongholds, as we're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. So we need to use the weapons of our warfare. We have the power of the name of Jesus. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got the anointing of God, the equipment of God. We've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. We've got the armor of righteousness. We know that breastplate of righteousness, our feet shall with the preparation of the gospel of peace. All these things belong to us that we are to use to defend ourselves from the enemy, to overcome the enemy with. So all these things belong to us and are to be used for what reason? To experience our promised land. Then once you get into that land and once you begin to experience that land, and that includes myself, all of us, you know what's a difficult thing to do? Stay there. Dwell there. Look at point three. We'll close quickly here. This involves perspective. What we look at, how we look at things. It is easy to let our guard down once we enter in and begin to enjoy the inheritance that God has given us and we get in there and we can kind of sit back kick back and just thank God for the victories that we have and it's easy after you've been so many years in the Lord serving the Lord walking in victory in certain areas of our lives that if we don't continue to recognize the fact that the enemy's looking for a more opportune time he's going to come when we're unawares or in a time that we're not prepared so it's important we just look at Exodus chapter 13 perspective when we look back, it's okay to look back if we look back correctly in an acceptable way. Moses said unto the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of the hand of the Lord brought you out from this place. There shall no, no leavened bread be eaten. Who brought them out? The Lord did. How? By his mighty hand. What did he say to them? Remember. You look back and you remember. If we want to stay in the land and dwell in the land, we've got to keep this before our minds. Praise God. We've been brought out. We have been delivered, not from the land of Egypt, but from the powers of darkness. Satan has no jurisdiction over any of our lives. But look at Numbers 21 and verse 5. This is not allowable. This is not acceptable in the sight of God. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of the Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. What are they doing? They're looking back when they were in slavery. They're looking back when they were in prison. And they're looking back and they're saying, we had three hot meals a day. We've got a roof over our head and so on and so forth. And so what are they doing? They're drooling to go back into slavery because their physical needs are being met back there. So they're basically evaluating the two. And God, he's telling them, no, that's not the right thing to do. Who wants to go back into slavery or back into spiritual death and darkness and walk in that realm? I, will, I certainly don't want to, do you? No, that's a, a, unacceptable. But you know what? If you look at it in a natural, it's almost like someone who is in prison. They get out of prison, go back to prison, get out of prison, go back to prison, get out of prison, go back to prison. Why? They feel safe there. They can function there. 
there's almost a sense of satisfaction that they're there because they don't have to contend with the world any longer. Do you see that point? And so often that's how people are. They get to a place where they have a false sense of security in prison. So they end up going back there all the time. Well, that's exactly what they wanted to do. Look at Numbers chapter 13. Look at nevertheless. Nevertheless. The way we look at nevertheless. What do I mean by that? Nevertheless. It's a land that flows with milk and honey. Nevertheless. The people that be strong that dwell in the land. And the cities are walled and very great. And moreover we saw. We saw. What are we looking at? We saw the children of Anak there. We saw the Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. And we saw the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb still the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and possess it for we were all able to take or to overcome it. But the men that went up with him said, we be not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. Looking at nevertheless. How do we look at nevertheless? Joshua and Caleb looked at the same nevertheless as they did. Yes, it's a great land, but nevertheless, there's giants. Is our situation the same way? Is it a big situation, a giant situation, an overwhelming situation? He says, don't look at the situation. Look at the size of the Lord your God. Look at the provision that he has provided for you. Get your eyes on him like Jehoshaphat. Focus on him. Our eyes are upon you. So don't allow what we see to prevent us from entering into our promised land. And then finally, looking at the unseen is the right perspective that we should all have. And look in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. And this is, of course, talking about Jesus We're talking about looking at things that are not seen, not at the things that are seen because they can overwhelm us. Looking unto Jesus. Here's who we're to look at. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of Almighty God. Beloved, God wants us to elevate our soul, to live by a higher level of thinking, to lift it up to a place, praise God, That we think victory and not defeat. He wants us to elevate the way we think. And there's only one way to elevate the way we think. To live by a higher level of thinking. And that is to take our soul from the cross to the throne. A lot of preaching and teaching today we hear about. Yes, he suffered on the cross. Yes, he died on the cross. And we know that. And we appreciate that. And we thank God for that. But there's been so much of that that we've taken the cross, the place of execution, the place of suffering, the place in the mind of the devil, defeat, and a lot of other people. And we've allowed that to become our symbol. But there's nothing wrong with it. You can wear your cross around your neck, but you've heard me say this before. But why are we not looking at the scepter? The scepter is the rod of righteousness, the rod of royal power, the rod of triumph, and the rod of victory. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, I believe it is, we find out that he was given the rod or the scepter of righteousness, which is the scepter of his kingdom. Why? Because he was victorious over death, over disease, over demon powers, over everything 
the kingdom of darkness stands for. And when he emerged from the grave, he said, look, I am he that liveth and was dead. But look at me now. I'm alive forevermore. And I hold the keys. I have the power and authority over all powers and all three realms, spirit, soul, body. Praise God also in heaven, earth, and beneath the earth. I hold all power and all authority. And the Father in his coronation of his son, gave him this scepter of righteousness and says, this is the scepter of your kingdom. So you see what we've done, and thank God that we've got the cross, but we've not elevated our soul to the place of triumph and victory. Praise God, we have been given all power and authority in Christ, and because we are in him, we enjoy the right to use the power and authority of his name over anything and everything that we are confronted with in this life. We've got to elevate our soul, praise God, that rod of triumph and lift it up and start thanking God, hallelujah, that we've got power over all the power of the enemy. Our faith is to be in his accomplishments. Did you see, the church at large can't see that. For some reason, they don't buy into it. They don't understand it. But beloved, I believe we've been given in Jesus all power and authority to enter our promised land and take back whatever belongs to us. And God wants us to use what we have. And the only way is by renewing our minds, elevating our souls, that in Christ we have all things that pertain to life and godliness. In Christ, we are made more than conquerors through him that loves us. He always causes us to triumph. He always gives us the victory when, when we get up, when we step out, where we tread upon what belongs to us, and we take back what belongs to us in the power of his name. Let's all stand together before the Lord.